Welcome, gamers, to Basement Arcade Pause Mania, the show where we hit pause, sit back, and just chill. I'm your host, Ben Magnet, and today on my show, we have yet again another awesome person from the great uh, nation, state, place, I don't know what it's called, the, Australia. They're from Australia. They're from down under. This gentleman used to work for, Se- for Sega. He was a Sega Hotline tip master. He is also has a huge uh, following on Twitter, and he has his own YouTube channel, which you should totally check out. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Brian, a.k.a. Synth Spaces. How's it going, bud? Thanks for that awesome welcome. The way you paused there before you went into that, I thought you were going to meditate and go into some zen-like state. I didn't know what was happening there. Um, but, yeah, no, great to be on your show. And um, hey, it, and it's Australia. It's down under, and it does yeah. exist. Yeah, it, it does exist. Um, and that's the place where the kangaroos. Uh, Austria yes. has no kangaroos because sometimes no. – Especially in my country, when people when someone says Austria, they go, "Oh, the place with the kangaroos." No, Australia. There's an extra Leah at the end. Yes, there is. Uh, Terra Australis is where it comes from. Uh, Southern, great Southern land. So that's where the name Australia comes from. Don't ask me to go too much more into that. I don't know my my Latin's rusty. (laughs) All I know is that Australia, because when I had a the first Australian I had on the show was Todd the Top Loader. And I was talking to Are him. Are you still and- recovering from that, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> I think the one if I'm – because you're, you're the third Australian I have on the show. I've had three people, right. yourself included, Todd, Ali, Sai, and you. And mm-hmm. I told this to Ali. I'm pretty sure you saw it. You listened to that. I don't know if you listened to that or not. But before I recorded with Ali – I was talking to my girlfriend about recording with someone because I was recording super late. On my end, it was 2.30 in the morning, and on hers, it was 7 o'clock in the evening. And I was talking to my girlfriend, and she was like, how many people from Australia do you know? And I'm like, <laughs> um, they're the ones who follow me on Twitter because you follow me on Twitter. Sega Master Tim followed me on Twitter. Um, Todd obviously follows me on Twitter. Um, so it's like so many people that I, into the, in this great retro gaming space that I've fallen into that I mention every single bloody show now is 90% of them I feel are either from down under or they're all the way across the pond in England. Well, you should be trying to uh, run a channel from this country. And when you're trying to get guests on, it's really difficult because, um, mm-hmm. yeah, time zones can be an absolute pain. And you're trying to get, yeah, I've actually ran into trouble with that with certain guests. I always now just say 10.30 a.m. is my default time. If that's 3 o'clock in the morning for you, I'm sorry. That's just it it from now on. Because, I, yeah, yeah, I used to change it and try to adjust, and it Mm -hmm. got into too many issues. So from now on, set time. (laughs) Now now I have... So there's a, I, on my phone, there's an app, there's a way I can check the world clock. So I can check what time it is in different uh, cities and time zones. And just, I think after um, Todd, when I, when, when top loader was on, I just put Sydney, Australia as like the basis for Australia. It's like, what time is it in Sydney? Okay. And then it didn't occur to me that he actually lives somewhere else, which I think is a different time zone than Sydney. <laughs> there are I'm three like, different time zones. Uh, four, four different time mm-hmm. zones in Australia during summer because Queensland doesn't do daylight saving. So they're an hour different. And then you got the other two. Yeah. It's, and you should hear that when the national broadcasting uh, radio station is trying to give out the 
the times. It's just mm-hmm. that goes on for ages. <laughs> and I thought daylight saving time was bad here in America because our neighboring state. I'm I'm in California. I'm on the West Coast, and our yeah. neighboring state Arizona, they don't um, follow daylight savings time. Oh, and okay. Didn't know that. Yeah, it's actually funny because there's this one. So there's this little tiny uh, gambling town in the very southern tip of Nevada called Laughlin. It's like a uh, baby's Laughlin. time. Yeah, it's waffle, like a, as in the food you eat. Waffle. Waffle? No, Laughlin. Oh, Wafflin. Sorry. Okay. It's like it's spelled like laugh and L I N, but it's pronounced ah, Laughlin. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're talking about waffles, I'm like, what about waffles? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in this little tiny bit, it's like literally on the southernmost tip of Nevada. And it's like you can cross the Colorado River and you're in Arizona. And during New Year's, it's awesome. So you can party up at New Year's in um, in Arizona. <laughs> in over again. <laughs> and then once it hits midnight, it's 11 o'clock in Nevada. So you just go over the bridge and you're like, we time traveled to last year. <laughs> um, I've actually been to Arizona and really? California. But they're the only yeah. two states that I've been to on the mainland. I know I'm dying to go back once all this stupid COVID thing yeah. dies down. Um I've been to uh, Hawaii and also mm-hmm. to Alaska. Okay. So they're, they're, all, they're, they're the only four states I've been to all up nice. uh, of, of, of America. But I'm really, really wanting to go back to mainland because it's like, uh, it's just, I grew up watching, you know, American TV, Sesame Street yeah. and all that rubbish. I used to yell at Big Bird mm-hmm. for pronouncing Z wrong. Um <laughs> It's it's not Z, it's Z. <laughs> um, and it's just fascinating seeing it, uh, your way of life uh, in person for, for myself. It's uh, yeah. something I want to experience more. Yeah. Well, trust me, once COVID lifts up and once you or any other of our friends, our mutual Twitter group come to the United States and they somehow end up in Southern California, please hit me up because I know some oh. great like ever since I got really got into this retro gaming community and talking to people who also have this love of retro video games, I just want to take them places. It's like, come with it. It's, I feel like Willy Wonka where it's like, come with me. <laughs> you just see. need the top hat. <laughs> yeah. I just need like a pixelated top hat and be like, a world of pure video game imagination. Just, just so I can go around and it's not like I don't have friends and family who do like going to those places with me. I do. It's just that they, Go there a lot <laughs> it's good that you guys in the states actually do have something to visit or places to mm-hmm. go for that kind of um gaming culture because here in sydney it's yeah. few and far between it's really yeah. um something that's sad because in in the uh 90s retro gaming and, and in the 80s mm-hmm. retro gaming was huge it was massive like well it wasn't called retro gaming but obviously yeah, it was then. just video games uh, back yeah, then. it was just gaming gaming was huge here and we you guys had the the big crash of 83 we i for the most part i i didn't really feel all that i found out about that later and it was like mm-hmm. oh that was a thing i didn't know it didn't go on my radar in fact in 83 85 you know between that era gaming was booming for me like uh everything was happening it was um new cabinets appearing and new consoles um it it just yeah i had to read about it later that oh okay so these guys went for a major four with video games that's 
Interesting. <laughs> it makes sense though, like with the way Atari were treating the industry back then. Yeah, it was it was Atari, it was a television, it was ColecoVision. Yeah. It was pretty much all the major console manufacturers at the time. They because they saw all they were seeing was especially the higher ups at Atari and and Hasbro, who I think Hasbro had owned it was either Mattel or Hasbro. Because I know both of them Mattel. were in, but I forgot but I forgot who owned the ColecoVision and the Intellivision. Because those guys, the higher ups, saw how much money they were making, and they thought, "Oh, mm. let's just keep pumping out video games," and they didn't realize that, "Oh, these games are bad." Yeah, yeah, and, they, and it, it eventually, uh, in that area and that location, gained a bad reputation, and shops were just refusing to stock it because they were like, "Oh, no, no, mm -hmm. that stuff doesn't sell. We don't want it. We that just burns money in our pockets. We don't want it." Yeah, and just, it was. It was just not that way at all here. Like, yeah, you we, just like there was definitely rubbish games. There, there's no oh, getting yeah. away from that. But we kind of excused it here, I guess, in Australia that it was a new technology and this is still cool and fascinating. No, all the games are not great. Not not all of them are absolute hitters, but this is exciting and new. So, but I guess by the time what eighty three came around, the industry was entering its probably like the, the industry started around about 75 you would say or mid 70s I, I would say the video game the like the video game industry as so all right a little bit of backstory here i'm working on a project called the second age of retro and okay. i've actually divvied up from retro video games into the primordial first second and third ages um okay. i would yeah, I know. It's for me. It's, it for me. It's like the primordial is a little more. I know it sounds silly, but for me, it's a, a little more dramatic. Also, it sounds really cool to call it the primordial age. So <laughs> okay. I want to say that I want to say the industry, the the beginning of what we know as the video game industry, definitely started in I want to say maybe 75, 76, whenever That's Pong. Kind of where I leaned. Uh, yeah, Pong and Magnavox. Yeah. Magna, they're the two sort of yes, big Magnavox. names that you that you reach to from that era. And I, I do remember um, being five years old or four, four or five years old. So that would have been 79. Mm -hmm. And I do remember seeing the Magnavox being uh, advertised and shown off and displayed. Yeah. And it was a space invaders clone. And it, yeah. it fascinated it me. That it wasn't a TV show. This is a something that you control on the screen. This looks mm -hmm. cool. What is it? It was, it was all new. Yeah, but I feel the Magnavox Odyssey and especially early Atari Twenty Six Hundred games, those truly are like the primordial age of video games because these yeah, were yeah. the first things that, um, to come out of the electronic soup. Like you had, um, over at MIT, you had Space War. I want before that in the fifties you had tennis for two, which you, you could only play at these giant institutions because computers back then required the size of uh, mainframes, yeah. the size of a bloody house. But that was just some hardcore nerds goofing around. Yeah. That that wasn't um, video games in the sense that we know and love yeah. today. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to say with the Magnavox Aussie that was def that definitely started people started opening their eyes. It's like oh. This could be a thing, but I'm still, I'm, when I say I'm still bewildered, it just, it fascinates me to see displays of the Magnavox Odyssey and all the things that you needed to get, play the games properly to yeah, stick yeah. these uh, 
thing, uh, these films to your television screen, which stuck thanks to the static electricity that it emitted. <laughs> and it's like, and essentially, if you take it off, it's like, well, we're gonna play hockey. Let's put the hockey thing over. It's still pong. We're gonna play tennis. Let's put the tennis overlay. It's still pong. Let's it's, let's play roulette. It's just a, a totally different era. You couldn't do it today, obviously. No. Um, the only thing I missed from that era was, was the Intellivision had, um, you mentioned overlays for the screen, but for mm-hmm. the Intellivision, they had an overlay that you put on the controller. Right. And, and it would show you what each button, because the, the Intellivision controller, if you haven't seen it, it's insane. It's like, oh, yeah. it looks like an old fashioned mobile phone with it's 10 like buttons. About, it's a key oh, bat. It's, yeah. it, it doesn't have a joystick, it's got a disc. So yeah, exactly. it's. Yeah, audio listeners, you can't see it, but it's about, I want to say, like, maybe less than a foot, like, six inches long, and it yeah. has, like, it's a keypad, it has, like, a, a, um, a dial switch to it. It's it's gnarly if you ever see one. But uh, the the thing that I miss about that was the artwork. Um, I've got, probably my favorite one is the Masters of the Universe, uh, He-Man mm. overlay, and it, it just looks wickedly 80s and it's got it's got it's just got he-man with a blue sky background and he's holding up his sword and and with the he-man logo at the top yeah and you don't you don't have that now every game is just uh, you use your controller and it's just still standard the last system that tried to replicate that was the atari jaguar Mm-hmm. And it it also did the overlay thing, which is kind of ironic because they were probably mocking them back in the day, and then they later took it on themselves. Probably. And, and yeah, they had the ten button controls as well. <laughs> the last show I recorded um, was with uh, Dylan and Adrian from Arcade Attack. They're over in England, in the UK. Yeah, I've spoken and, to them. Yeah, yeah, and they were, and I want to say it was Dylan who was talking about how much he loved the Jaguar because I played, I played it at television, and I played a Jaguar, thankfully at um retro gaming expos that we have here in california you know in the before times before COVID hit yeah and yeah. i was just flabbergasted about how uncomfortable that atari jaguar controller is to hold. <laughs> it is so huge it's so cumbersome i was playing tempest 2000 and i enjoyed tempest i really like the arcade game tempest i see yeah. a cabinet of tempest at my local arcade stores i'm like oh I've i can play the, a few rounds of tempest. I've, got, I've got the satin version of that actually it's pretty cool <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'll play a few rounds of Tempest. I enjoy this game. This is a fun, this is a fun Vector X graphic uh old school Atari game. I like this. This is great. And then I'm looking at Tempest 2000. I'm like, I don't know what the flying frack I'm looking at. And I'm holding the controller <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell is this? And it's a bonkers controller it's a, audio listeners. It's a Google man's controller, that thing. It's just um, yeah, it's something I I have. The Atari Jaguar just wasn't a thing in Australia. I don't actually think it got officially released here in this country. Um, oh. But but uh, I did get to play one just recently, Eddie, actually mm-hmm. at a uh, U- Unisoft. They had a uh, an exhibition and mm-hmm. they had a little small retro. That was the only thing I was really interested in. Didn't care yeah. about all the new releases. I just uh-huh. went straight to the retro section. <laughs> And they had a Jaguar there. And it was actually supplied by Weed and Retro, who's a, a bunch of guys that follow me over on um, <laughs> on on Twitter. Uh, uh-huh. So I was playing their system without them realising it. <laughs> um, and I was playing Rayman, I think. Yeah, Rayman. And Jaguar? Yeah, it was the first one. Wow. And 
the 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 getting away from the controller, the graphics on that game, they were too zoomed in. The sprite mm. was just too big. So there wasn't much real estate to work with on a four by three screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just the game didn't work for me. Yeah. It was uh, too slow. I'm used to Sonic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> me there, there is me too. That's a great shirt, by the way. I haven't seen that one before. <laughs> it was at a, a spe- it's kind of like a, a sp- I don't want to call it a specialty store because it's not. It's like a very watered down version of Hot Topic. I think the parent company that owns Hot Topic also owns the store where I bought this shirt at. Okay, you got a Sonic <laughs> shirt on too. I mean, you're, you're, so you, you work for Sega. So, of course, I had to rep almost all my Sega stuff. Um, I haven't got a Genesis hat. I've got, I've got my 90. See, for me, this hat that I've got, it's um, uh-huh. it was just five dollars. But for this, for me, this hat means more to me than for most mm-hmm. people because 1991. Yes, that's when Sonic started, but that was when I started at Sega 91. Yeah. So it's so it actually holds some hidden meaning for me. No, I mean. The first video game system I can ever remember playing was my next door neighbor's Sega Genesis, and the first game I ever played was Sonic the Hedgehog Two. It's so not my favorite Sonic. Sonic. Yeah, it's it's not my favorite Sonic game. That that belongs to Sonic CD, but I Sonic Two holds a very special place in my heart because that was what opened the door, and I became a lifelong Sonic the Hedgehog fan. Oh wow! <laughs> no, but yeah. I was just saying your your channel name should be since Sonic. Not since spaces. <laughs> I don't know. So, I don't know so you do know where spaces comes from, right? Don't you? I I don't, to be perfectly honest. Okay. With you. So spaces is Aussie slash Kiwi slang mm-hmm. for Space Invaders. So the oh, first game that I got to play was not a home console because home consoles weren't really that big back in my era. Like when I I say my era. I sound mm-hmm. like I'm from a distant time and place. Um, when I was growing up, uh, home consoles weren't the big thing. The big thing was arcades. Mm-hmm. And I still remember seeing that Space Invaders cabinet and the artwork on the side. I don't know if you can recall it, but it's got that menacing oh, a- 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 electric alien on the side. And I just remember getting freaked out. I'd never seen anything that scary and big before. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Oh yeah, uh, and and then you look into the cabinet. Had to get on a milk crate to do it. And there's these weird images, and it's a it's a something you can control, which I couldn't process at the time because TV up until that point for me was watching it on what watching shows. So yeah, it was a very it was a whole new whole new you know uh, experience for me. Sorry, what were yeah, you gonna it- say? I was going to say watching TV up to when essentially when passive. Rob yeah. Bayer created video games was a very passive, mm. uh, it was a passive uh, pastime or a hobby. I should, I, I don't know, like activity. That's the word I was looking for. Cause you just sit there and you, and you personally don't do anything. All the actions happen on screen. Whereas yeah. with video games, you, it's up to you, the player to interact with what's going on on the screen. You yeah. move, yeah. you move the, the character, you move the thing to avoid getting shot down or eaten by these little buggers, these little space invaders. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I got this out That's of loot. Cool. Yeah, audio listeners, I'm holding up a little vinyl figure of a space invader that I got from Loot Crate years ago, which thankfully was in the same color scheme that I wanted because there's three different color schemes and it was like a crapshoot of which one you were gonna get. So I oh, got wow. I got my uh, green and blue one. This is the, my this is my cute little space invader. He's on my desk and he's always gonna be on my desk. <laughs> uh, I've got the pop funk. 
final. Oh, the, Fun- of, the Funko Pops? Yeah, that, those ones. I hate them, but I will make an exception for the Space Invader ones and any uh, Sonic ones that I see. And that's it. I don't buy any. Yeah, okay. He's showing off the big one. Sorry. Right. Uh, okay, <laughs> I, I got a that. bunch. I got a bunch. You can't see it. I got a bunch on the side. I have an entire wall of Kingdom Hearts pop finals right next to me. Okay. Um, I got a bunch of Sonic. I got a bunch of Mega Man. Um, I have a Yu-Gi-Oh! one just because I like the dragon. But those guys must be rolling in dough. Apparently their office oh, yeah. is something out of this world. Um because every video game store that you go into is now just taken over by those things. I want to say a lot of the chain because okay, so there are some video game stores that are mom and pop like retro stores that do have some Funko Pops, yeah. but they're not taking over. Like if you go to a GameStop, um, here it's GameStop. Is it still a GameStop or is it EB Games in Australia? It's a EB Games here. But okay. having said that. I think that's going to change because of what's happened in Canada. And I think that mm. that will eventually happen here too. Okay. That they'll well, rebrand as GameSpot. Oh, they're rebranding up in Canada? Yeah. Yeah. So one day uh, people will just walk into their regular EB game store and whole new signage is there. And that's it. It's all just changed. It's like surprise. So, stop now. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I have my problems with GameStop, but there are times where they do pull through for me with the, especially the newer titles that come out. But I walk into a GameStop and there's, I mean, there's some video games there, which is good, but then you got a wall of pop vinyls. You have some. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. You have some crazy, you have these collectibles and these others and this other apparel, which don't get me wrong. I'm glad that as a gamer and as a a complete nerd that I could walk down the street wearing a Sonic the Hedgehog t-shirt and not worry about it. Like we, we truly have conquered the world, but there are times where I look in, it's like, where are the video games? And this is a video game store. Where are the video games at? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're reinventing themselves, aren't they? I mean, yeah. uh, the, there was a period there where it looked like a, what, what relevance do video game stores have in 2021 or maybe even four years ago when everything was slowly starting to move towards the digital uh, space. Yeah. And there was this moment in time where they were thinking, well, we got a, there was proposal for super EB game store or GameStop stores uh, in America. And it never happened, but they were trying to make it more of an experience rather than just going in to pick up the latest call of duty. I don't remember that, but I do remember someone saying that GameStop was thinking about maybe also becoming barcades. And I am all for that. Yeah. But the problem with that, it will be that, Parents will go in, dump their kids off, and True. then go shopping, and then turn the place into a kitty mining center. So, yeah, and so you got to put some kind of signage up saying kids can't be unattended or something. I don't know. So that's yeah. what that's their battle. But I mean, they do are... need they do need to make the uh, the experience for the customer something that they want to yeah. uh, not miss. Like they 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 don't want people to just think. Well, I can just order that online. They want to make it so that when you go there, you will see or experience something that you won't otherwise experience just with downloading games. Yeah, there is a there are two stores that I frequent a lot. Um, well, the same store, two different locations here in, in SoCal called Lost Levels, where they are a brick and mortar used retro game store. Um, they, of course, they deal in all sorts of video games. 
and each location has an arcade. You pay for okay. like either 10 bucks for half an hour or five bucks for half an hour, 10 bucks for an hour. And all the arcade games are set free to play. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. And, and you need something like that to just to reflect back on where gaming first, where it came from. And mm-hmm. um, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you're stuck in the past or you, you're holding on to that. Like I don't hold on to that element of gaming i do embrace modern gaming i'm staring at an xbox series x here beside me um so you know uh but but they do need to acknowledge that part of gaming and Mm -hmm. embrace it uh and i think maybe younger gamers might look at some games that they see at the arcade and go you know what that's actually cool (laughs) yeah (laughs) retro gaming for i think i feel like retro gaming especially I mean, yes, us people in our age range from like mid to from like maybe like mid 20s to the um, early 40s and so on and so forth. Who's like, yeah, I remember I'm growing the so up on with- and so forth. <laughs> I, was like, I didn't want to make I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> I mean, I don't care. To, I mean, I'm turning 31 in a month and a half. So I'm like, I don't care. I'm over 30. But because I mean, because uh, I even. Last time I went to a retro game store, or not a retro game store, a retro game collect uh, a convention. Um, the last one I went to, um, there was a myriad of people there, and it wasn't just like people my age range or older. It was families. It was fathers and mothers showing mm-hmm. their young kids these old games, and these kids are like looking through um, stacks of PlayStation One games, and they're talking to their parents like, "Hey, Dad." this game looks really good. What did you play it when you were a kid? And, and it's like, these parents are like showing their kids like, Oh, this is what I, how I played video games. And they're like, Hey, this is actually really fun. I, to me, like seeing like the younger kids, like look at older games and also um, seeing a lot of indie titles go up on like Nintendo eShop and PlayStation that are retro inspired. You have their chip tunes, their 16 bit, eight bit platformers. I mean, they have a few more bells and whistles, but, Essentially, if you were to plug in a, a Genesis controller into the game, that game would probably still work perfectly. Yeah, I'm. I'm I've got a fascination with uh, gaming design mm-hmm. using old retro gaming mindsets. But what would happen if you were to implement modern gaming techniques right. and modern features into some of those older systems? So it's always interesting for me to see a well-made mega drive or genesis game that's been made in 2021 mm-hmm. how it differs from the good games from back in the mid 90s yeah. and how yeah just uh what extra little um what they call it e- ease of life life changing no what's the word that they use for it uh quality of life very quality changes. of life improvements yeah improvements yeah so i like seeing what quality of life improvements they can bring to an older style game for yeah. for the older systems, yeah. I feel like case in point is this gem of a game, Sonic Mania. Yeah, yeah. Now you like, know that uh, what they did in that game technically couldn't be possible on a Genesis or on a Mega CD, um, but I think they stick mostly to the yeah. primary cap- cap- capabilities of those systems. It's like, I, yeah, this. This system probably could have handled it if he threw more memory at it or something yeah. like that. Yeah. I want to say when the when Christian Whitehead and his team was de- were developing this game, 
they said they want to try and get as close as they can to the Sega. It was like the sweet spot between a Sega Genesis or a Mega Drive and the Sega Saturn. Yeah, it was okay. like trying yeah. to get a, a trying to get a sweet spot. I mean, I absolutely love Sonic Mania. It's definitely my favorite Sonic game to come out in the last ten years. I, it just makes me realize that we as gamers were ripped off um, with the Sega Saturn, <laughs> in that we never got a follow up two D you know, Sonic title on that mm-hmm. platform. And it would have been interesting to see what they could have come up with. But yeah. I understand that at that time it would have looked old and jaded. The attitude was we're going 3D. We want to see 3D games back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they were trying to push the, uh, I hate the expression, but they were trying to push the envelope mm-hmm. faster than the machines at the time could handle it. Um, although I say that and Mario 64 seemed to pull it off somewhat. So, um, but you look at most of the 3D titles in, in that era, they're, they're, you know, pretty hard to play now in 2021. Yeah. Because um, th- I grew up playing the PlayStation. The PlayStation was the first console that my parents actually bought my brother and myself. Oh, right. So, so for me, I mean, yeah, I could, I could definitely agree. Looking at old N64 graphics and old PlayStation 1 graphics, especially the, the 3d titles like i remember i plugged in um my playstation classic my brother gave me his playstation classic he didn't want it anymore and i just plug it in just to see if it worked it does and i'm like oh, i'll play a little bit of final fantasy 7 yikes i was just gonna say it's funny that you mentioned that i was just thinking a game that uses 3d graphics but doesn't rely on that aspect of the graphics for its main storytelling and mm-hmm. and i think yeah i was actually about to say final fantasy 7 is a game that i think still plays well today because it, yes the graphics do look you know a lot janky than we remember them mm-hmm. um but the gameplay is just 2d menu selecting and yeah and hitting hitting him with a with a uh oh god what is it called again buster sword uh, no, 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 the summons, that's it. Hitting him oh, with okay. a summons and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So that, that doesn't get affected too much by the... And those those summons look pretty cool even by today's standards, some of them. Yeah. I mean, when you're walking around the overworld, it's like a low poly, it's like yikes. But then when you see them close up and they're actually fighting, it's like, oh, I actually can see their eyes. I can see their facial expressions. I can see their hands and what the sword looks like. Yeah, yeah. So, no, that, that's... um. It's an interesting era, but I think for me, it, gaming really came into its own with GameCube, Dreamcast, Xbox. That that era, uh, that generation onwards, is when mm-hmm. I feel like gaming had finally grown up and it's turned into a a business. Yeah, a they proper found... business, a corporate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are times where because I remember. I remember when games were going full 3D, like the PlayStation still had some good 2D side-scroller titles. You had Rayman. Um, I don't know if it was good, but I remember playing Hercules on the PlayStation 1. I rented, PlayStation from, Blockbuster. One, yeah. I rented from Blockbuster, and my brother and I, we thought it was amazing. We loved it. Actually, that's yeah. advertised on the back of the PlayStation box as one of the games featured for the, for the system. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I just pulled out my PlayStation uh, box the other day for a photo. Mm-hmm. 
and I was just checking out. Wonder what games because some of those games that they showed off on the back mm-hmm. were games that actually maybe didn't make it. They got cancelled or the art had changed. So it's interesting mm-hmm. to look at that artwork sometimes to see what got cancelled or what um, was changed. Uh-huh. NHL yeah. was one of those games right. where the the box art was just totally changed compared oh. to the initial, you know, sneak preview that EA put out originally. Wow, I did not realize that. Because yeah. I remember, because unfortunately when I was a kid and I would get a, a new system, we just rip it out of the box, throw the box in the trash because it's like we don't care. Oh, about no. <laughs> I was young. What do you expect me to do? I know better now. I never even did that. Um, but I, okay. Ha- when you say when you were young, were you only eight, nine? I was, ten? I want to say I was 10. Yeah, I, was I, I nine, got into. I was nine turning 10. I was I was like I was definitely before ten years old. I, it was earlier than ten years old when I got my PlayStation okay. One. And we. The think, I'm just trying to think what what I would have done if, if when I was that age, because I didn't get my first computer or slash console until I was uh, twelve or thirteen. Thirteen. Mm-hmm. And I still have the boxes for the games that I've had for that thing as a thirteen year old. Uh, and my first console was an SC3000. Do you know what that is? Uh, not off the top of my head. I feel if I were to, because I have a few reference books here. If I were to flip through it, I might find it, but I have no idea what that is. Off the top oh, of my I'll head. save you to Google. There you go. Oh. That's it there. Oh, oh, okay. That's It's a Sega keyboard. Okay. Oh, wow. Look at it's that. It's a personal computer. Um, and the, the cartridges, uh, sorry, the cartridges go into the side there. Oh my and god! It's got two controllers here. This predates the Master System. That so, predates. Wow. Yeah. So this is also released in Japan as a SG One Thousand, which was a console, mm-hmm. no keyboard. It was just okay. a games machine. But we never got that here in in Australia. So Australia, New Zealand, and I believe Italy, France, some European countries. Uh, got this and it was a very small release mm-hmm. and i think that was sega just and i do say sega not sega by the way <laughs> uh that's the way we pronounced it here at the time um they they were just testing the waters i think okay. with this this released on the same day as the famicom oh not a good move i no. don't know if that was uh by design or whatever but uh from what i know that this machine was um being tested in 82 mm-hmm. and then it got released in 83 i kind of feel like sega missed out um by getting the jump on nintendo by not releasing this back in 82 mm. but i i don't yeah. know enough about the history or uh, behind what their you know their thinking was that their what what their uh mission was when releasing this it's very hard to get that information because it's all japanese and you yeah. don't really see it being talked about in the West. So no. that that's why I try to get as much information on this console as I can. See, this is why I love talking with people outside the United States because I never have seen this this Sega <laughs> keyboard before in my such a, it is life. such a good looking it is such a good looking keyboard too. It's uh, yeah, and- not the best. I actually this is not the my original one. This oh. one I bought more recently. I okay. threw it out. Um oh. 
and I had the box and I also had the uh, a disc attachment. So this used to have a big box that would go underneath and you would put this uh -huh. on top and uh -huh. it would, it was called the command center, the SF 7000. And then you could save stuff to disc and it would, it was more like a computer at that stage because mm -hmm. this only used tape cassettes and that that's not a great experience for everyone involved. Whereas the discs that they had, which were three inch floppy disks, not three and a mm -hmm. half, mm -hmm. slightly smaller. Um, that thing's worth now that, that control system, it's worth about seven or $8,000 Australian boxed. Wow. And I, I threw it out. Oh my! <laughs> See, I'm not the only one who threw out the boxes. <laughs> well, long story short, I was going for a breakup and I was thought, yeah, time to get rid of some of this junk. Yeah, and that yeah. was the first thing to go. And you know what? The, the day after I threw it out, I was like, "What the hell did I just do?" And it's been yeah. my one of my biggest regrets. Yeah, my, my biggest video game regret was when the laser in my Sega Dreamcast died, and oh, wow. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know I can fix it. I didn't think of trying to hold on to it and maybe because unfortunately back then, if something was broken and you knew it was broken, why hold on to it? So unfortunately, instead of instead of trying to find someone to fix it, I gave it away to a Goodwill. Well, that Goodwill then sold it and made money of it, so it was a charitable, noble deed in the end. But also got sucks, rid of my games. Sucks to be you. <laughs> I also got rid of my games and I didn't sell them because I thought, oh, I could just get these digitally, and if I go to a, a collectible show, they're gonna lowball me anyway. Turns out that some of those games that. The games I had, which are Sonic Adventure 1 and 2, Sonic yep. Shuffle, NFL 2K1, and Toy Commander, are well over $50 to $100. Yeah, yeah, easily. Um, if I can go yeah. back in time and yell at myself, I would. Uh, if we can go back in time. All right, so <laughs> selling a TerraDrive, one of my regrets. So TerraDrive was a the only uh, other PC that Sega released, mm -hmm. which was a Mega Drive slash PC in wow. one. That's and actually pretty it, cool. You would flick a switch. It would go to PC mode. You'd flick the switch back. You're back in Mega Drive mode. And um, I had it for only a short time. Needed money. A colleague at Sega wanted it badly, so I sold it to him. And I've never seen or heard from him since. Oh, wow. And it's kind of sad. I did sell it. I got the money, but That's good. I would have, I mean, that, that thing would have been worth a lot more if I had it now. Um, I even bought a step-down transformer to be able to play it and run it because we use a different voltage here in Australia than, we, than the Japanese do. Um, the other one is selling an arcade machine. I had a Shinobi in my oh. room uh when i was like 21 or something like that and needed money money is a constant theme isn't it um yeah yeah, yeah it needed money and so i sold it i sold it for more than i bought it but not much like 50 bucks more oh, that's good um that thing was huge and it was gigantic it had a crt monitor oh. um and in the end it was just like a glorified money box because it was it was just one game, Shinobi. How often can you play that before you say, "Okay, I'm I'm done with this game"? 
Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever played Shinobi. I just heard how hard Shinobi was. I'm like, mm, I'm good. <laughs> well, in the arcade, it was... Uh, I think the most memorable part of that game was the bonus stage where the ninjas are coming towards you and you're flicking shur- shurikens at them. Or mm-hmm. we used to just call them ninja stars back then. Uh, yeah, that, and having that in your in your house um was a pretty cool deal i used to have kids yeah. coming over can, can i play shinobi <laughs> <laughs> oh god that was like me with my uh with my next door neighbors um and my classmates when i was younger and i knew they had a gaming system that i didn't have i'd be like hey can i come over and it's like do you want to just hang out or do you want to play games uh both. yeah i know i used to have uh all the kids coming over i'd have kids playing shinobi on the background i'd have the mega drive up up and running with golden x2 players uh stereo up loud with them with and it wasn't with music it was the game that game Ooh. music up loud uh it was just like a little mini arcade experience <laughs> oh my man that sounds awesome yeah so speaking of sega i gotta yes. know and i i'm curious because i just want to pick your brain how did you get the job of being a sega um tip master because i've only so, heard about these because i grew up in I grew up in the era with strategy guides, with Nintendo Power magazines, and yep. with eventually the internet. The internet became my my go-to. I had no. It wasn't until I watched the documentary High Score on Netflix that I knew that there was people. Awesome documentary, who, yeah, yeah. That guy with the mullet at the Nintendo, the Nintendo counselor. Yeah, <laughs> I want to. I want to meet him. He just sounds I like him so bad. <laughs> yeah, he's, and and they got um over at Nintendo of America. They got jackets with um. Yeah. Nintendo ca- games counselor written on the back. I, I would have killed to get uh, no, a Sega equivalent of that. All right, so quick side tangent. What makes me mad about okay, I, I don't really watch esports, not because I don't like them, it's because I just don't know where to watch them. And from <laughs> what I've seen is that the champions they get this awesome trophy, it looks cool, rad, but I'm watching high score. And I see like the Nintendo game counselors with these personalized jackets. I see oh, the red guy, from memory. Yeah, I see the guy, the kids who won the Nintendo World Championships with these personalized jackets. The kid yeah. who won the um uh the the Alcatraz tournament, the Sonic the Hedgehog three tournament on a uh, Rock the Rock the yeah. the MTV yeah, yeah. game. He gets a cool jacket, and I'm um, like, main main machine. That? Me Machine Dean uh, is a guy that I talk to a lot. He's got his own channel, and he appeared on UK uh, a TV show there, for, which was a video game TV uh, mm-hmm. show. And I think he got runners up or something. And he was only a kid at the time. He's now a dirty, hairy ad- adult. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Dean, but it's, it's the truth. Uh, <laughs> with a full beard and everything, and the jacket still fits him. He still got it. And yeah, he got awarded a jacket, and I, I'm envious of that. That's why I made my own bomber jacket because I, yeah. like you said, I just want something that it, it, it screams out, "I love games," and this is what I'm about. Yeah, seriously, we need to bring back awesome personalized bomber jackets that have to do with the. I, I'll show you mine. Hang on a second. All right. Yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna pause this and cut this out of your. I can. Edit. I can no, or I can bamf for a few seconds. I can totally keep going on this topic <laughs> to to the audio listeners. But yeah, seriously, audio listeners uh, or people watching this, if you watch High Score, you're gonna see like a bunch of like cool champ world championship bat, um, jackets, and it's like 
we need to bring back those really cool jackets because those are so rad. And ah, oh, okay, that's cool, Space Easy. It's got Sega on the front, and it's got Sonic the Hedgehog two on the back. Oh, I want okay. that so bad. And it's got one extra patch on the side here on the shoulder. Oh, that's um, so cool. So the story with this goes: um, I wanted a jacket that just said. Uh, I'm a Sega guy, right? Mm -hmm. And so I ended up finding this jacket and I thought, yeah, that's perfect. It's got this US military sort of look to it. It's an Air Force jacket. Mm -hmm. And uh, I put, I, I ended up finding this patch on eBay. It was never used. And okay. it was meant to go on uh, the... Uh, the Sonic 2 bomber jackets that you could buy that as worn by Michael Jackson himself. Oh. Um, so I thought, yeah, that's cool. That's going to look awesome. And when I put it together and I took a step back, I had it professionally stitched on mm -hmm. and it, it just came out really cool. I have not yet worn this to uh, a convention yet. I'm still dying to get it. I wore it without this on the back and it was still kind of mm -hmm. cool, but the, the but this patch really just, just sells it. But now that you have um, but, a Sonic 2 patch on it, you just want to show it off. And it, for, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but for Australia, you guys just got out of winter and you're going into spring, right? Yeah, I won't be wearing this anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because no, this for about I've had it for a, about uh, two years now. Okay, and still yet to wear it to a convention um, because just what's going on in the world at the time. Yeah. Um, haven't been able to go to conventions. But the background story about this jacket. I later found um, a story that Sega put out in mid-90s with a pamphlet selling, uh, advertising the background story to Sonic and how Sonic got his name. And mm -hmm. it had a picture of a jacket that looked almost identical to this. And I thought, Ooh. hello, what's going on? Um, read the story. The story basically goes that the US Air Force had uh, Chuck Yeager trying to break the sound barrier and there were other pilots who were almost as good as him um, they all had nicknames and one of those pilots his nickname was Sonic because he's as sharp as a hedgehog right oh. <laughs> and he had a jacket and it had a hedgehog on the back and then they just showed this green um, jacket uh, with the hedgehog looking thing it was Sonic on the on the picture and the daughter of, of Chuck Yeager was in a fire and he threw the jacket to help save her. And then when she woke up the next morning in the hospital, the, the hedgehog was uh, missing on the jacket. Mm -hmm. It's not true. It's, it's just a made-up bit of fluff for a cool-looking background story for Sonic. But when I read that, I thought, how cool is that that I've got this jacket and it's kind of got this, its own little fake story behind it. It's yeah. <laughs> anyway, enough showing that off. Well, I was going to say there is a retro game convention that's happening in Southern California at the end of February. If somehow things get better by then and you feel safe to travel, just, just throwing it out there. That would be your winter. Definitely yeah, so it'd be perfect wear to wear that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's gonna be cold. It's gonna be. I mean, even even though Southern California has this reputation of being hot, it still gets pretty chilly. That we need to wear jackets. I can yeah, attest okay. to wearing to needing a jacket, even living in sunny Southern California. So, it's kind of it's kind of weird where you have to try and 
uh, when I go overseas and I have to reverse the weather because yeah. <laughs> here in, here in Australia uh, we have uh, summer Christmases. Uh, mm-hmm. We I've, I've only ever had one winter Christmas and that was in China and that's oh, okay. Christmas over there is not a thing. So yeah, yeah I, I would love to go to the states. I actually would love to go to New York and have a New York Christmas. So I think a New York style went uh white christmas would be awesome that would be pretty sweet i i've only been to new york once in my life and i was there for a school trip and we were there for new year's eve uh okay. like, we like it wasn't there for new year's eve but we were there around at the same time so my dad and i actually camped out and we stayed in times square and we saw the ball drop it was it was a really cool experience never doing it again um you asked me earlier how did i get my job at sega so um when i was in high school the last couple of years i was big into reading video game magazines and it was um a mixture of us and uk magazines Mm -hmm. Uh, mostly uk at that stage but i did really like game pro magazine and egm Mm -hmm. and there was a couple of others but they were the two that stood out for me and on the UK side of the fence, there was CVG, there was Mean Machines, uh, and a couple of others. But they're the two that stand out from the UK for me as well. And I'd just be buying up all these magazines and consuming all this uh, media and thinking, how cool will it to be uh, able to one day write for a, con- a video game magazine? Started my own magazine. Oh. With thinking, how am I going to do this? I've got no printing technology. I've got, it's not like now you can just right click, copy, paste, print. None of that was available. Um, So what I ended up doing was just printing out a bunch of articles and photocopying that and handing that out. That was my first episode or issue, I should say, of of the Sega Times. Uh (laughs) That was was the, the name that I did for my little fanzine. I sent that to the guy that sold me my games for the SA3000 and my Mega Drive. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was importing stuff from Japan and distributing it. And he saw what I was doing and he went, you could do better than this. So he offered to have me send him uh, on paper like uh, what I wanted, the printout. So I'd have to put it all in a pile, number the pages, Uh and then send it off to him. He would photocopy a batch of 50 and send it back to me and I'd sell them. Oh, wow. And, and that's how I started. And I would send these to Sega. So I sold them, uh, uh, sorry, I sent them uh, copies of the magazine. Uh-huh. They, was, they were sending me, uh, Sega was sending me video games to review. Really? So, yeah. So well, that was cool. I was, I, wow. Because when you say, because mm, okay, I feel like it's so Sega and Nintendo, they are such polar opposites when it comes to people either writing or talking about their their IPs or their their games or their consoles or what what have you. Because I can only imagine, like in today's day and age, if some kid were to send Nintendo a thing like, "Hey, I wrote this stuff about your titles and your games," they would get a cease and desist letter. That's they would rude. they would get like hey please because I remember there's this like this whole big hubbub about Nintendo not liking P 
people putting up uh, walkthroughs or stream or streaming their games on YouTube. It was like this whole thing here in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then when uh, like there's a famous example of before Metroid: uh, Samus Returns came out on the 3DS. Yeah. There was a fan-made game called I, AMR2, yeah. Yeah, another yeah. Metroid 2 remake. Yeah. Struck down. Nintendo's lawyers were unleashed. And we find out the reason why is because, you know, Samus Returns is coming to the to the 3DS. It's a remake, like a true remake. It's, it's like, hey, this wasn't like a free game like this guy was making. But then you look at Sega and you look at the guy who made this, Sonic yeah. Mania, because he, he didn't made get a, a cease and desist. Yeah. No, he wasn't. He did not get a cease and desist. He was offered a freaking job. <laughs> Sega was like, hey, you want to work? For, and if I was Christian, I'd be like, well, fuck yeah, I want to work for you. He hasn't got the job though from for Sega officially yet. Still, he's just been hired on to do that one project. Yeah. He, he's yeah. still. I would love to see him actually just being taken on as a full time yeah. staff member at Sega, but Sega yeah. is just not the, what they used to be. But back then, they were Sega. Sega was a juggernaut back then, especially mm-hmm. here in Australia. So mm-hmm. you'd go. In, the reason why I hopped on Team Sega and not Team Nintendo was because you'd go to the arcade. You didn't see Nintendo anywhere. Like there was that machine down in the corner with cobwebs on it called Donkey Kong. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, the rest of the arcade was just, uh, it was either Sega, Capcom or Irene or all these other names that were just floating around at the time. And it just felt like Nintendo were just not caring about the arcade scene. And the NES didn't impress me. I'm, I just didn't. I just looked at it and went, okay, it's interesting, but the graphics are not really anything exciting. Whereas the Master System, and I don't know I'm going to get shot down. I don't care. This is just how I felt at the time. I I saw the Master System as replicating the arcade games and bringing that home, which was something I didn't think the NES did. So that was a reason why I gravitated more towards Sega initially. Um, where I started to change and started looking at Nintendo in a in a more positive light was F Zero. When I okay. saw that, that was like, okay, finally they got my attention. Yeah. I want a Super Nintendo now, so I bought it. I was working at the hotline, went down to my local Brashes store, which was a thing here in Australia at the time. During my lunch break, bought a Super Nintendo, came back to the hotline. And say, hey, well, boys, look what I got. <laughs> How did you not get fired that day? <laughs> I was playing it set up. I had, uh, I think it was, it wasn't Street Fighter. I had, anyway, I had the game set up, and I had the the CEO walk past, watching me playing a Super Nintendo in the hotline. Hey, dude, <laughs> he didn't bat an eyelid. He didn't care. <laughs> you had the CEO for Sega Australia yeah. waltz by. While yeah. you're playing a Super Nintendo, I feel that's yeah. sacrilege. <laughs> and and I had my feet up, hat backwards, playing because <laughs> it was so it was so super casual. It was like a hangout. It it wasn't like we used to prank call the Nintendo Hotline, which was run by uh, Mattel here in Australia. It wasn't okay. Nintendo at that stage, mm-hmm. and it was more corporate like back then for them. Okay, because we could tell that. Their language was more formal. They they were 100% more reserved than we were. 
uh, we would just straight up hang up on a caller if they were being jerks or whatever. Wow. We didn't care. Yeah, we didn't take any crap. Um, where we were professional, but when you treated us badly or if you spoke to us in a way we didn't like, that uh-huh. would just that professionalism would just get turned off and and all bets were off because the oh, calls wow. weren't recorded back then. And unless your manager's walking past behind you. You're not going to get any ramifications from it. What are they going to do? Are they going to phone in and complain later? He hung up on me because I t- I called him names. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, don't call our guys names. You want to help? You you ask yeah. us for help. Don't be a dick. And we got a lot of prank calls. We did. Right. That was part of the fun of it. It was like we knew that we were a target with uh-huh. bored kids in the phone because there was no internet to troll on, so they had to resort to something else, didn't they? So yeah. we were the target. <laughs> Did you get any prank calls personally? Or what's the best prank call you can remember that you got? Uh, on the hotline. I We used to get uh, this. It was an internal call, actually. So someone from another division would uh-huh. call in on a regular basis, pretending to be a three-year-old. And she would call. It was based on a comedy show character that was going on at the time. And she called herself a genius. And her name was Jessica, and I'm a genius. I'm only free. And it took me ages to work out who it was, but I finally sussed out based on <laughs> I could hear the phones in the background. I thought, hang on a minute. I know who this is. <laughs> <laughs> it was a switchboard lady. <laughs> ah. When there was not many calls coming in, she'd prank call us down at the hotline. <laughs> she'd be like oh she's probably just sitting there looking at her switchboard that wasn't blinking he's like all right i gotta give these boys something to do <laughs> i think she just got bored <laughs> uh, were you were so you said you guys were the targets of of tro- pre-internet trolls i can yeah. only imagine what kind of calls you would get did you ever get like calls of like hi i need help beating super mario brothers 3 or anything like that or i was the guy making that call to nintendo <laughs> saying when is sonic going to come out on the super nintendo <laughs> <laughs> not that's not our product our product is mario oh okay but still when is super Nintendo? yeah <laughs> we and and if only we knew what was going to eventually happen years later yeah. i mean you saw the nintendo direct i did of course and you i saw did. and you saw this bad boy is eventually going to be uh sold in a nintendo box yeah it's going to be a nintendo made sega controller a sega controller that's made by nintendo which kind of tells you who i mean i've got people trolling me on twitter saying oh that really tells you who won the console war and i hated that comment but in the back of my mind i'm thinking he's right it's it's it is kind of a sign that that's not a it's not a sega switch is it it's a nintendo switch i mean okay so I love studying the console war. I love reading about it. I love watching documentaries about it. What yeah. like one of my my big I could die happy if I ever get him on the show is Tom Kalinsky or even Al Nielsen or both. If I'm I get working, either, I'm working on Kalinsky. I'm working yeah. on that. <laughs> like if I can get either one of them just to sit down and talk with me about their time at Sega for even an hour or half an hour, I can die happy. It's like when I got Howard Scott Warshaw to talk about his time at Atari. I was like, I could die happy now. But when people and so I grew up, I call myself a veteran of the console wars because I was a Sega Genesis kid, even though I never owned a Sega Genesis until a few years ago with my Sega Genesis Mini that's sitting right over there. Oh, you mean these? 
I've got two of them just sitting here. Oh, <laughs> that's, yeah, the, so... uh, that's the one we got in Australia. And uh-huh. this was my first uh, Mega Drive, which was the Purple Beast. Uh, I just love the way that looks compared to this yeah. one. I think this one doesn't look as good as yeah. the, audio... the Japanese one. Yeah, so audio listeners, the Japanese one has... Uh... Wait, which one is the Japanese one again? The one you're holding this up, one. right? Yeah, so yeah. the Japanese one has like this great little purple accents to it. The 16, yeah. I feel like the 16 bit is a little more golden because this uh, this episode is also going up as an audio thing. So when we're showing off cool stuff, I have to describe what it looks like. Sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll refrain from doing that. Okay, <laughs> no, no, because I mean that that's why I, when I show why because I like to show off stuff in my collection too, but I have to say what it is so people who are listening is like, oh, I know what that is, or if they don't know what it is, they can Google it. But going back to the whole console war thing and. We the console wars ended in 2002 when Sega straight up said we're not making consoles anymore. We I knew they were remember, over. I still remember my reaction to that. I was pretty much devastated when, when that was, news hit. I just got my Sega Dreamcast and the news hit and I was mad. I was bumped. Mm. But then because for a split second I thought I'm never gonna play another Sonic game anymore because there's no more Sonic. Thank God that's not true because almost right after that came out, Sonic Advance comes for the Nintendo, uh, for the Game Boy Advance. And it's a great Sonic platformer. It's a great game. And there have been other good Sonic games. Uh, We're ignoring 06, but there have been good Sonic, like Sonic Generations, amazing titles. Can we not ignore 06? Can we not ignore that? Can that, because that needs to be talked about. It needs to be talked about. It highlights. It highlights how confused and misguided Sega were in general. And they have always been since uh, the success of the Genesis Mega Drive. They mm-hmm. they just didn't know what to do with their success. And they kind of got it right and they were getting back on track with the Dreamcast, but it was too late. Yeah. I hate that, that part of the sentence, but it was too late because I felt like the Dreamcast was – probably one of the most perfect consoles ever released the dream as it a ticked all boxes though. yeah as, as a gaming, boxes yeah as a gaming machine the dreamcast because i when i still had my dreamcast and my brother and i would play our dreamcast or my dreamcast it was awesome we would crazy taxi that was one of the games i got when i that christmas morning when i opened up my dreamcast i got sonic adventure 2 and crazy taxi Crazy and taxi. That's what introduced me to that offspring song was the yeah, 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 when the game opens up. And now every time I see Crazy Taxi, I'm like, man, I loved Crazy Taxi. Because you're going I around a, this. I put a screenshot of Crazy Taxi and I just put the words out, yeah, 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 and tweet that. And I get 300 likes. Just oh. <laughs> that game is just so, uh, even to the to this day, whoops. Yeah. Uh, even to, even to this today, uh, people are still passionate about wow. that game. Yeah, I mean, I'm listening. Like, I remember when I first plugged in Sonic Adventure Two, and you hear the opening guitar riff on the pause menu to Live and Learn, and then when you yeah. start Sonic's level, you hear the do 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 the baseline, and you That's hear rolling it. around at the speed of you start. And you're like, yeah. Did <laughs> you the- watch the? Uh, the anniversary symphony? special symphony i didn't watch it live unfortunately but i was able to listen to it while i was at work 
watch it. Go get get it uh, on YouTube and watch it. Yeah. It's. I did watch the parts. With if, the, I, I did go back and watch the parts where they actually had Crush Forty show up and they performed live. Well, live as you yeah. can get because one of them it was still in the pandemic. They're still trying to be safe. So you yeah, had yeah. The, the singer in, in one booth, you had the guitarists and the drummers and other booths, but they're all. I personally think that that symphony won 2021 for me. I still to yeah. this day have uh, so far this year anyway, mm-hmm. haven't seen anything else that's got me as excited and as hyped as that symphony. It just, they just, they nailed it. They, they it absolutely was, nailed it. It was a great symphony. And I can definitely tell you when I heard that they're releasing it for like, you know, so you can buy it on app on iTunes or it's on Spotify. Now I'm like, perfect. I, no, can I want the physical it. thing. I want, a physical I, know, I want the physical, <laughs> I want the physical thing too. Don't get me wrong, but at least it's like, at yeah. least now it's on, it's on my phone. It's easy to listen to. So I think I it can... would be too long. I think it would be too long for vi- to release it on vinyl. Probably vinyl. It will probably be a double or even a triple vinyl collection. Well, you got um, some vinyl. You got some, or maybe vinyl. a DVD. Yeah, but you or got Blue some Rome vinyl soundtracks that are like three or four vinyl records that have all like uh, a buddy of mine, and he and he's also a co-host on the Fake Nerd podcast. He actually has the soundtrack to Sonic Adventure Two on vinyl. That would be cool. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He showed that off to me, and I'm just like, I mean, I don't have a, a record player, and I'm just like looking at this. I'm like, this is gorgeous, and I want it, and I don't have a vinyl player. <laughs> so um, on that target, I'm looking at the record players, and my girlfriend's like, "What are you looking at these for?" I'm like, "I want one." She's like, "Why?" I was like, oh, I can get Sonic Adventure Two on vinyl. That's why. <laughs> so getting back to how I got the job at Sega, I would send in uh, copies of my magazine. Uh, I was harassing, when I say harassing, I had a, a, a bit of a relationship mm-hmm. on the phone with the marketing manager at the time. Okay. And I would sometimes call to speak to the manager of this, the hotline at that Ooh. stage. But he kind of sounded disinterested. And I wasn't picking that vibe up as a kid because it's like, Sega, this is the Sega guy. And, and that's all I cared about. Yeah. Um, and eventually, even though they were inviting me in, I got to see Sonic the Hedgehog in beta form before Ooh. it got released. Oh, that's uh, cool. So they invited me in to see that. But even with all that happening, I wasn't getting any um, feedback as to getting a job because that's mm-hmm. all I wanted. And they knew I was still in high school and they, they felt probably wrong in asking me to work for them while I was still in year 12. Okay. So. So I started giving up on them and it was about a month after I had done my final uh, test in HSC uh, year 12 Mm -hmm. and my dad comes into the room and he says, you know, I think you better start looking for a job now. Mm. And I was just like, yep. Okay. Looking forward to that. Whatever that's going to look like. Went back to my Mega Drive game because of course I was playing Mega Drive, wasn't I? And <laughs> and the phone rings about an hour or two after that, uh-huh. and it's and it's Sega and it's a new voice, and she says, "My name is Karen and I'm now the manager of the hotline, and I've been seeing your your magazines that you've been sending in the Sega Times, and I'm really interested in having a chat with you." I didn't know back then that having a chat with you meant, you know, that's good uh-huh. news. I was yeah. just like, I'm getting invited into Sega. And they said, 
um, do you, will you be available to come in? Of course I'm available. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hold on a second. Pause. It's like, give me one second, Karen. Pause. Okay, when, when do you need me in? I can go right now. <laughs> I think I can in. fit you in my schedule. Yeah. It's so, like, anyway. I'm not at the final boss. It's like, you're, like you made your plane vector manager. So I was like, I'm not the boss yet. Let me pause the game. <laughs> <laughs> so I got into the hotline and my interview was essentially, uh, can you read? And you can write. Yep. Okay. And you finished Alex Kidd in Miracle World. Is that right? And I said, yeah, we've, I figured it out myself. I didn't need the hotline. Okay. You're hired. <laughs> Based on the stuff that I was sending in though. But yeah, that's a true story. I did finish um, Alex Kidd in Miracle World and it ended up finding out that that was the one game that everyone called in for because it was built really? in to the master system in the master system two and every man in his dingo had that game. It was ridiculous. And uh, they would, they would all be calling for the same thing. The final boss, um, you, you would beat Jenkins the great. Then you'd get this um, extra piece or whatever. I can't remember, but then you go to the next stage and it'd be down at the bottom of a lake and you're in this room and, and you got no way of knowing what you're meant to do. There's just some symbols on the ground and every time you want run over them, ghosts would appear and kill you. Uh, so we figured it had to do with the, this uh, thing that you got in the game that showed you all these symbols. But if you read it normally left to right, it wouldn't work. You'd get a ghost and you'd kill you. So, so I started thinking, okay, how about we change it to, the bottom to up try to order different combinations and what ended up working was from right to left from top to bottom and i found out obviously later that that was because that's the way the japanese mm-hmm. read that that's how they do their traditional uh i guess they call it kanji i'm not sure um and i didn't know that that was the reasoning behind it at the time i just figured it was because they wanted to be difficult um, <laughs> and that, that's what ended up working. And that's, that's the thing that everyone, I can still tell you the combination, sun waves, moon, star, sun, moon, waves, fish, star, fish, crown. That's, <laughs> I know it off by heart. Wow. <laughs> Cause we I, used to have to say it all the time and you'd be like, you'd be right. You'll be doing something else. Yes. Yeah, sun waves, moon. That's right. Star, <laughs> star. That's right. Well, Yeah. <laughs> Over and over again. It's like the Konami code. It's just etched into your brain that it's, it's living there rent-free now. It's like someone Actually, said, anytime someone mentions a code, you just instantly go up, <laughs> up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, start. <laughs> if they – I actually don't know the Konami code off by heart. I know that that's really? a thing, but really? I don't that, know it off by heart. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, no, BA, I, I know. I, I recognize it, but it's not something that – I'm a, I'm a Sega guy, remember? Okay. <laughs> um, but – uh, I was just thinking then if they put it on the on the hold message, if you're mm-hmm. calling about Sega, uh, Alex Kidd in Miracle World, here's the combination. I reckon half our calls would have just dropped off. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, is, is Alex Kidd in Miracle World, is that on the, is that, I think that's on the mini. Is it? No. No, it's not? No. no oh, that was uh, a mega, it, that was the Master System game, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. And I, I'm really, you know, angry and frustrated that there isn't a master system mini because uh, they did such a good job with this. 
Um, it would have been interesting to see what they could have come up with um, with a Master System Mini, and it might have introduced a few Americans um, yeah. to what they what they missed out on because of uh, Nintendo's bullying uh, marketing techniques back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, um, I've the stuff I've read about and heard about from the eighties, what was happening in the states in the eighties with Nintendo, uh, absolutely shocking. The, the, their oh. tactics were just absolutely hard. So funny enough, earlier today I was at a um, a collector's show. Which if you ever come to the United States, I'm definitely gonna take you because it's like a nerd pair. It's like a nerd swap meet, really. Where <laughs> okay. You, you get video games, you get comic books, you get sports memorabilia, and you get a whole bunch of Funko Pops. But you also get a lot of really good video game jo- uh, spots yeah. too. Um, my best friend's girlfriend, I was showing off some. Uh, 10 gen carts, some 10 gen and Comerica yeah. uh, Codemasters uh, cartridges that, as as you know, were made e- technically illegally under yeah. here yeah. in the United States because 10 gen uh, wanted to, to go around. And I was telling her, I was like, yeah, they, 10 gen is Atari and they were a third party developer for Nintendo and they just didn't like the rules because Nintendo had iron fisted rules back in the early days about their licensees. Yeah. And then Atari slash Tengen just said, no, nah, screw you. And they did their own thing. They they did break the law on how they got around the NES lockout chip. True. But just how seeing these weird black cartridges and how Sega's Afterburner was one of those cartridges that you could play That's on just, your NES. Yeah. And was Shinobi was another one, wasn't it? Shinobi? I, think, I haven't seen Shinobi, but I know about Afterburner. And I was the, and I, there's, I saw two copies of Afterburner, and I was this close to buying it. But I'm like, I don't have the money for it, so I'm going to hold off. Next time, though. Uh, EA and Sega had the same thing, where um, yeah. EA managed to retro uh, engineer or reverse engineer the Mega Drive. And they just straight up told Sega, hey, this is what we're going to do. We can, we're going to either go ahead and do this or we would rather cooperate with you. Yeah. Can we be, get on board as a licensed um, publisher, but mm-hmm. can we change these fees? Because these fees we don't like. We, we, we're not uh, – we're wanting to help sell you guys consoles. Yeah. Um, and what I did, I mean, look at the EA Sports lineup and – Everyone associates the Genesis or the Mega Drive with EA Sports. It's in the game. Like that was a um, huge part of what a reason why people bought the, the system back in the in the day. Those those early EA titles. As much as I do not like, and every time someone mentions EA today, I give them a sneer and I hiss a little bit. Yeah, but this is before they became douchebags. Yeah, this yeah. is yeah, this is before. But as much as I don't like EA now, I will always say. Back then, when it was like in the, I hate saying this, but in the good old days when it was EA Sports, it's in the game. I used to love EA. Now I can't stand it. Yeah. It was like a golden age of Mm. EA games. You had, not only did you have amazing sports titles that were fun and brought and were different, you also had some good platformers. I have a Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone on the PlayStation. And it's, this is before the film came out too. So this was a pre-film Harry Potter collect-a-thon platformer that was fully voice acted. And, I mean, it looks bad. Okay, it doesn't look bad. It looks like a PS1 game. So there are times you see people, you go, ugh. But at the time, and it's still a really fun game to play. Yeah, yeah. 
And it's like EA um, did that. EA made some amazing games back in the day, and then they went to shit. They got greedy. They got corporate, and they got oh, yeah people that don't have an interest in video games or don't actually have uh, a passion in video games. Uh, they took over. That's yeah. that's the sad reality of it. Yeah, they just saw a bottom line, a paycheck, and dollar signs, and they're like, "Cool, let's keep doing that." And that's I'm all reason- I'm all for companies making money, but you gotta yeah. do it in a way that's not just treating consumers as nothing but big money bags. Uh, Star Wars Battlefront Two microtransactions. I just yeah. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> I try, I try not off, to dwell on it. Yeah. Yeah. Getting off on EA for a bit because you talked about how you're a little bummed that Sega never released a Master System Mini. The re- I feel like the the reason why they never did is because, um, I mean, not saying the rest of the world isn't valid. They are because we wouldn't have a video game uh, industry without uh, the Australia, UK, and of course Japan because that's like the mecca, the holy land of all video games. But here in the United States, I know I feel like they just went straight to Genesis because they know the Genesis will sell here in the United States because that was like the big thing. It was a huge nostalgia thing. Even when the mini was announced, they were they almost brought back or they didn't almost they remixed the Genesis does, but they just didn't yeah, say yeah. what Nintendo because obvious reasons. And as much as I would love a master system, because I feel the master system is slowly getting getting traction in, in retro circles, especially here in the United States, it's like, hey, this there was a system before the Genesis. There was a thing. It didn't sell well, but there, there was, was two systems. Uh, yeah, there's two systems. <laughs> did that ever come out in America? I don't think it did. No. Yeah. So Tom- Tonka yeah. was originally uh, responsible for the master system in America. And Wait, Tonka as in like the trucks? Yes, Tonka toys. So kind of similar reasons why that's that failed in America as to yeah. the same reasons why NES failed here in Australia. Because yeah. in Australia, Mattel were distributing it and they were treating it like a Barbie doll. They were treating it like a toy. Yeah. And they weren't releasing the games quick enough. Like I would have to grey import... Um, uh, Street Fighter, I, mm. I, I gray imported Street Fighter, hype, uh, Street Fighter, Hyper Fire, whatever you know, and Super Street Fighter, all I the Street understand. Fighters. I imported them all, and that cost me bucket loads of money. Like compared yeah. to if that just got released properly and officially, I would have bought that. But yeah. for some odd reason, they were sitting on this gold mine of Street Fighter, which was huge. You know how big Street oh, Fighter yeah. Two was in the time. And oh, they were taking they were taking like uh, six months to a year to even announce that it was going to come out. Yeah. So how could you delay something that big? You'd want to make money, wouldn't you? You do. You lost. <laughs> you honest to God would like to make money on that. Um, I was going to say something else too, and I lost it. Dang it! I get that oh. a lot. I have a little yeah. notepad that I use oh. sometimes when I'm doing so, interviews. <laughs> oh yeah, so like well, normally I do too, but there are times where the conversation, like what we've having, we've been having, just flows so well that's <laughs> like I don't, I just want, I'm just enamored in the story. But like going back to the, so going back to the Genesis and the Genesis Mini, um, how you were wishing that there was Master System, Master System games. I was actually when I heard about the Genesis Mini coming out. I was really hoping we would get some maybe Sega CDs, some Sega 32X games in this collection. Yeah. 
and and bits of it are it kind of it doesn't rub me the wrong way because i realize compared to the genesis the 32x and the sega cds libraries are minuscule they're not large mm-hmm. libraries like the soul genesis library is an amazing library but my favorite sonic the hedgehog game my favorite video game of all time is sonic cd yeah and to have that game still be harder to find even though within sonic sonic fan circles it's highly regarded as one of the best two original of the original 2d games it's just hard to find and hard to play i mean luckily now there's a really good iphone port of it which i have to admit is really good but it makes me feel that even when the sega does release more compilations for the genesis like here here's more genesis classics i'm like this is the fifth Genesis Classics we got in the last 15 years. Give me a 32X collection. Give me a... Yeah, it would be nice Madden. to see them dabble in some of the other systems yeah. that they're... Or they could embrace just Sega Retro in general. Yeah. It doesn't have to be focused on one console. They yeah. could make it like a Sega All-Stars and yeah. 10 games of from different generations and yeah. slap a barcode on it and a price tag and sell it. Uh I, by the way, speaking of Sonic CD, uh, have you played Sonic CD with the POW slash Japan soundtrack? Uh, yeah, actually, no, I haven't because there's an option. So the guy who made Sonic CD on here also made Sonic CD or Sonic Mania. That was like the project that where he cut yeah. his teeth in and Sega said, okay, you make Sonic Mania. Like they gave him their blessing for that. Um, he included, there's you an option. The option. Yeah, yeah, you have the option to play it. Now, I know within a lot of retro circles, listening to the American soundtrack is close to heresy, which is something I commit all the time because <laughs> that's what I grew up with. I'm sorry. I know. But I, I grew one up- thing I do like about the uh, U.S. soundtrack is the – the Yeah, Sonic Boom. And I was going <laughs> to ask you a, a follow-up question. Have you heard the Crush 40 versus Cash Cash uh, mix of that? I don't not the I, I, have the I have the Crush they, 40 version. I have the Crush 40 song on my phone, but I don't have the Cash Cash version. I have to look that up. Oh, uh, it could be the same one. They just call or, it versus Cash Cash. It's just basically acknowledging I, that they're singing a Cash Cash song. Okay, but, I, don't, um, I haven't checked it out, but I've been trying to it, find a legal way to get the original it's, song. It's very rare for me to hear a remix or a cover and think, "Oh wow, that's great." I actually say it's better than the original. I, I think a, they've done such a good version of it that I prefer now the cover yeah. to the original, which is there, rare for me. There, I've actually found a few. My a friend of mine has actually sent me some covers of Sonic Boom by two Sonic fans. I'll send you a link to it later. Oh, okay. of this one that I really enjoy. But yeah, I mean, I know the American soundtrack is probably not the best, but that's the one I grew up on. Every time when I hear um, Palm Tree Panic, I hear like the, the little maracas and stuff. I'm like, oh, this this brings me back. And I mean, of course, Sonic Boom is like one of the best. So when, like, yeah, when, when I, I first when I played uh, Sonic CD on PC. I thought, me too. Oh, cool. That's how I played it. Uh, yeah, cool. I can get to play this on the PC. Loaded it up and then the music starts. I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> what have they done to my soundtrack? And I didn't realize at that stage until then, we're talking early 2000s, I think it was. That's Ooh. when I learned that the, the soundtrack was different for the for the US. Ooh. And then I, the more I found out about it um, and looked into it, 
It was simply because uh, Sega of America got this shiny new sound studio and they needed something to um, break it in with, I guess, and to show it off. So they, instead of just going with the soundtrack to Sonic CD, they just decided, let's just put our own in. (laughs) And ruin, in my opinion, I I, I think they ruined it. But there there was some good titles that, uh, well, good tracks that came out of that. Mm -hmm. But I I just love the uh, Japanese funk uh, rap sort of jazz acid rock that they did in their version. It was just so yeah. cool. And yeah. uh, there's an interview with the guy that did the music for the original Sonic CD, Japan version, and he was just saying that we just got this uh, program that had a whole heap of stock sound um, samples in it. We just went nuts with it. And that's mm-hmm. that's all they did. They were just like a bunch of kids experimenting with a budget. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I I do need to replay Sonic CD listening to the Japan to the Japanese soundtrack. I mean, I it's to me it's just when I hear that new soundtrack, I go, "This isn't what I grew up with." So I go back, yeah, and I like, okay, I want that nostalgia trip essentially. Yeah, yeah, the, the but yeah, memories. Going, yeah, but going <laughs> back to going back to memories, I will never forget when my because my parents got our Windows ninety five PC, and there was Sonic CD was a demo it was like a preloaded demo with a whole bunch of other games on it. And my parents knew I love Sonic the Hedgehog. And my dad said, it wasn't at the place where we bought the computer, but don't worry. I'm going to go to another store tomorrow and I'll get you your game. Cause the whole, cause he went with my younger brother and yeah. my brother. So he bought a game for my brother and he felt bad cause he knew that, cause he heard about Sonic the Hedgehog and he knew that's what I wanted, but the, it wasn't available at where he, the place where he bought the PC. So, he was like, I'll get it for you tomorrow. You just have to be patient. I'm like, okay. I was in first grade when this was going on. This was like 96, 97 when this was happening. Okay. And then um, he comes home from work. As promised, Sonic CD is there. We boot it up. We install it. I'm excited. And it opens up and you see the opening cinematic. You hear that do, 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 do. You see Sonic. And it's different, isn't it? It's actually the, the video on the PC version is actually larger than the mega cd i don't know how if it's larger or all I no, know it is because is... i i bought sonic cd day uh-huh. one I, um, okay I, I was working in a game store at that time mm-hmm. and as soon as i saw the cover i'm like oh, i've got to buy this <laughs> <laughs> so so and the and the and the uh cover that we got in australia far better i think personally than the the other versions it just has a massive sonic on it and the robo sonic um Oh, Metal Sonic? Yeah. Metal Sonic, sorry, yeah, on it, on the cover. It looks cool. But um, it, there's a couple of differences in, in uh, the, the video intro, and also the, the music isn't quite the same. You don't get to hear the toot-toot Sonic or the dun-dun-dun. Like, you don't hear it. It's just it gets to that part of the song, and they mute it. They, they didn't have the rights to the lyrics. Oh, How could really? you not have the rights to the lyrics? Like that's just nuts. But that's apparently the reasoning. They couldn't get the uh, the rights to the the original lyrics and the um and the vocals, so they had to mute it out. Oh, that's so just a so it's just a musical instrumental. Yeah, it's, 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 it's <laughs> instrumental. Yeah, but for me, it was the opening the Sonic Boom, and that absolutely blew my mind because I didn't think yeah. video games came with opening cinematics. I mean, <laughs> fifteen to twenty years down the line, oh boy, look what we have now. But yeah. when, I was, when I was a kid in kindergarten, in like kindergarten, first grade, 
I was I was a kindergartner when this was happening, and I not only see my favorite video game character on my computer screen, but there's an animated movie that's well for me back then it was silky smooth, it was gorgeous (laughs) animation, and I started playing the game and it was just it just blew me away. I absolutely still I still like that um, intro cartoon and the artwork for the design of Sonic in that in that cartoon. I mm-hmm. still find I still to this day think that that's my favorite rendition of Sonic and imagining of of the character. That isn't I I also agree that is the best Sonic the, the Hedgehog design. I mean not to knock the modern one. I like the modern one. It's fine, but you can't go wrong with classic Sonic and drawn in a early '90s anime style. It just looks so much better. It looks so good. It's just it's kind of funny because I had a friend that was helping me with uh, he was. I was going to reboot my magazine when I did get the job at Sega and I was thinking I could still do the magazine. I'm working in the industry. Um, And I was looking at, yeah, doing a reboot. And this guy that I knew who was able to do really wicked illustrations um, drew up a Sonic the Hedgehog and he did it in a manga style. And this is back when we just couldn't get manga for some reason. Mm Manga was just stupidly hard to get a hold of. And mm-hmm. here is, is this guy that, that's just able to draw manga on tap and hand it out. And he did a, a, a rendition of Sonic, which I think is on par with that Mega CD version. Um, anyway, sorry, just Do you still here, have but that? Do you still I have will that? Try, I, I will send it to you later. Uh, it's It's... Boxed somewhere. It's somewhere. Okay. <laughs> Behind me, what you can see is all the the, the built-in wardrobe, and all of my games are in box back there, which kind of sucks. But we're only here temporarily until uh, next year, and we move into our new house. Awesome. So for now, so for now, I'm I'm only I've got a very select um, lot of games on display, and what I've done is I've divided that into two. So you've got Nintendo on the left. Oh yeah, and you've got Sega on the right. I've, and I've on seen the you ground, post about that. I've seen you post about that on yeah. Twitter. I'm always like, and on the ground there's a carpet, a um, a rug, which is got Nintendo or Mario on the left and and uh, Sonic on the right. And yeah, I call it my little console wars display. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a really good thing, the way to put it, because um, my display. So like this dresser right here, yeah. this is where all my video games are being stored right now. Because yep. I, I unfortunately don't have the space to display them in proper shelving. Um, no, I can see you're almost ducked down in that roof that you got there behind you. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a going at a degree angle, but it's cool because yeah, yeah. I could put I could put up more posters here. That's a good thing. I can't. I need to get more posters and stuff. So this so because my head is blocking a good chunk, and then I have empty space. space. <laughs> I mean, I just got these today. I got these oversized Pokemon cards. For the 25th anniversary of I've my been theory. seeing a lot of people putting these pictures up and uh somewhat uh put was oh what was it tech review or something some big channel actually had one custom made and Ooh. you paid a hundred US for it. Um but it's like huge poster size uh yeah. Charizard um oh. Uh, card. Oh that's awesome and it's double and it's double sided. So oh, that's really cool. He should put it in a fake perspex water seal. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let's not get in the water. No, you know no, no, we'll talk no. about water next time. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, because uh, since this year is Pokemon's 25th anniversary, the the trading card games 
they've been uh, releasing the starters for ever for all the generations of Pokemon going backwards. Wow. So this is the second generation. This just came out, and this is my personal favorite. Silver, as you can see, is there's a picture right of silver behind you there. Yep. yep, that's my favorite Pokemon game of all time. And this is my favorite starter of all time, Cyndaquil, the fire starter, because he's cute. Okay. <laughs> so, but yeah, they've been releasing these, these, and you get all three starters as oversized Pokemon cards, and also you get two booster packs. So it's like, where cool, are you, you getting them from? I got this at the uh, collector, the collectible show I went to earlier today. Okay, but like, any, like here in stores. Australia, yeah, here in Australia like, at the <laughs> at the moment, uh, Mac is uh, putting out uh, Pokemon cards. Uh, McDonald's, mm -hmm. sorry, Mac oh. is. Yeah, you guys yeah, call but, it Mickey D's. Yeah, no, no, I, I want to say it was with Ali or Todd where they said Maccas. I'm like, what's Maccas? It would have been Todd. It would have been Todd. He's such a bogan. <laughs> bogan. Uh, oh God, how do you explain bogan to someone in the US? I don't know. I really I don't, don't know. know. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to abuse him either. Yeah. Don't, don't I'll worry have to send it. it to you later. <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, I think I think Ali was said something about like wacka wacka or something. I, I don't know. She was DMing. We were DMing each other about something, and then <laughs> she's she's had this one. She told me this one Aussie phrase, and I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I'll just accept it. I'll yeah, take I, that I was speaking to another channel once, and they said, um, so when will you be available? And I said, oh yeah, I'll be uh. Oh, I should be all right for this Arvo. I'll be I'll be able to catch up with you then. And they're like, "What's Arvo?" <laughs> and I had to think. Oh yeah, you guys don't say that. Afternoon. Oh right, okay, got it. <laughs> so we we just forget that we've got our own little lingo like spaces yeah. that, mm -hmm. that people in the in overseas just don't get. <laughs> uh, I mean, I was talking to when I was interviewing the guys or we're not interviewing really. These aren't really interviews. This is just all fun conversations I absolutely love having. The guys yeah. from Arcade Attack, uh, I was telling them, I was like, yeah, I know what I know the the English lingo and then I'm thinking I know <laughs> a little bit of Australian lingo and then I'm talking to Ali, you and Todd. I'm like, I don't know half of the words you're saying. <laughs> No, I, I tend to I, – I know how to filter it and, and yeah. just stick to – but the other day, I, um, not the other day, a, a few years back, my biggest video mm -hmm. had major Australian slang in it and I didn't realise mm -hmm. when I did the video and I posted it. So long story short, uh, Sega World was a thing here in Sydney. and. Oh. That was a fun pack, theme park, huge. I was actually in the room when they were discussing a, you guys making this thing. You guys yeah, had a yeah. Sega theme park in Australia? Yes. Sega World. What is this bullshit? Because we're now just getting Nintendo World here in the United States. I mean, okay, Japan got theirs first because they were as far as – okay, so, I mean, yeah, COVID sucks. We all know what's what's going on. But Japan got theirs open. Um, Universal I'm dying Studios, to get to it. Yeah. Yeah. Universal Studios here in in Hollywood in California. We're getting ours next. It's rumored that ours should be opening up next year. Fingers crossed. I hope it does because I've I've been watching the videos from Japan and it's giving yeah. me massive FOMO. But there was a Sega theme park and I missed it. Mm, yes, so, rumor is that they're bringing it back and it could come back to Australia. We don't know, but Sega World back then. Opened up in 97, I think it was. I went mm -hmm. to the, I actually went to the pre-opening test run. So okay. 
This was in Sydney's Dulling Harbour. This is prime real estate that this thing was uh, launched in. And it was an indoor theme park. You couldn't see anything from the outside, totally enclosed. And when you go in, you had Future World, Past World or something along those lines, and you'd walk down these really cool lit uh, arcways that take you into different sections of of the park. And I, I only fuzzy memory. It was late at night and uh, I, I went to it after a crap day at work, I think. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I ended up bumping into some old colleagues because I wasn't working at Sega at that time, but saw some old colleagues from Sega that was working there. Like, mm-hmm. what the hell are you doing here? They were helping me off the rides. So there was a uh, roller coaster. And there was uh, the other ride that I remember that I really liked was a a bumper car interactive shooter. So you had balls on the ground that you ran over. As you Uh ran over the balls, your car would tell you how many balls you've got as ammunition. Uh And then you would use those to shoot the other cars on 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 the track. So oh, awesome. you had to keep thinking risk and reward. I want to get to those balls because I need ammunition. But if I go there, I'm at risk of getting hit. And you'd uh-huh. constantly see your number going down, up, down, up as you're replenishing. So it kept score. Yeah. And you it, you would get points for hitting the other cars. And they don't do this anymore. We're not, you can't. Yeah. Sega were so innovative with stuff like this. Did Was you know it- that Sega had back in 89 – Mario Kart style um, remote control. You know the remote control car that Nintendo released just a couple of years back or last year? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the Mario Sega Kart. Were do- Sega were doing that back in 89. Oh <laughs> and they had this, um, it was on the rooftop of an arcade and it was took up the whole level and you would sit in a cabinet, TV screen, showing you the camera view of what the car on the track was seeing, and you would control it from the car. And that was back in 1989. This and was it, in 89. For some dumb reason, yeah, some uh, dumb reason, Sega just didn't follow it up or do anything else with it. You know what? Just hearing about all of this stuff, because looking back in history, looking, reading up on the console wars, reading up on Sega and Nintendo and all the, all the crap they would get into back in the day, it just the big the one standout the sentence that I hear almost every single person interviewing Tom Klinsky, Al Nielsen, anyone at Sega would say they were it was too early for its time or something yeah. along those lines like it was it was ahead of like the the Dreamcast case in point it was ahead yeah. of its time it had a built-in internet modem. It was introducing online play long before the PlayStation even probably thought about doing online play. It's like, hey, you can play online. It has a modem. You just hook into the phone jack, and there you go. You got so it. The and problem then- with yeah, the problem with including a modem in the uh, Dreamcast was that you were trying to create a solution to a problem that didn't exist at that time was yeah. how do you play this online? People weren't thinking about playing online back then. The masses nope. would have preferred a DVD player. And that's and what, got one I, with the as much as I hate to say it, that I yep. think that the Dreamcast should have had a, a DVD inbuilt. Oh, yeah. And that would if have, dream- and I personally think that that would have saved the Dreamcast. If the Dreamcast, I 100% agree with you. If the Dreamcast, like if we were to go back in time and 
yell at at Sega Japan at the time. Be like, put in a DVD player. Trust was us. Was it Sega of Japan that made that decision? It was Sega of America who made the decision, or they had a huge uh, input into that decision. Oh wow! Uh, the former CEO who went on to work for Xbox, the one of the first uh, CEOs of Xbox. It's not he Phil was a former. Spence. What? No, no, no. Phil Spencer's much, much later. I was trying to say, it's like, it's not because that's the only CEO of Microsoft I know about, or I'm like, oh, uh, no, Whoa. they've had a few, they've had a few, but uh, he was the second Xbox CEO. Okay. And he was a former EA and former Sega. Uh, mm. And he made the decision. He also has uh, Peter Moore, I think is his name. Maybe. I'll look it up. No, I'll look it up. Yeah, sorry for this hole in the uh, <laughs> in the chat. <laughs> it's like man, I just I also hate it when you have like a the name is on the tip of your tongue. And you're like, who the heck was that guy who did the thing? Uh, Sega CEO. Come on, yeah, Peter Moore. I was right. Oh, okay, yeah, this guy. Oh, that guy. All right. Yep, I know who you're talking about. Oh, British. I didn't realize it. Well, there's your problem. Not joking. <laughs> now, he. Um, Is that the lamppost sign that Sonic run, the, the the sound that, when Sonic runs fast? That's Is my that notification. Yes. It's the. It's the. <laughs> um, <ding. laughs> that's my Before, notification sound. Well, when, when one of my best friends texts me, it's a uh, Sega. Uh, now, my SMS uh, is. Um, uh, the crystal sound when you get the when you get the cow emerald. Sorry, that's my SMS sound, and my ringtone is Green Hill Zone remakes remake. Nice. <laughs> mine, uh, mine, my text tone like whenever I get a text message, um, like because I have some people with personalized ones, like the one my friend who goes Sega, like my one for the masses is like the the Game Boy startup sound, that little bing, like the little the ding. <laughs> yeah, when you turn yeah, it, yeah. And my ringtone used to be the original Tetris theme, and then it went to um, one one Super Mario World. Da, 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 da. And uh, when when mobile phones went from Nokia sounding, you know, crap to yeah. actual <laughs> actual, you know, songs you could download. Fun one stuff. Of the first, yeah, one of the first things I went to download was the soundtrack to Musha. Ooh. Um, yeah, and so I had the Musha soundtrack as my ringtone, and I remember one guy once when I when my phone went off, he just turned around in the middle of the street, random. Musha, awesome. <laughs> I had for the longest time. I had my wallet was like um was in the style of an original '89 brick Game Boy, and of course every time I've got a River Raid, I got a River Raid wallet, <laughs> and of course every time I would take it out to like pay for something. I cannot tell you how many times people complimented me on my wallet. They're like, yo, is that a Game Boy? I'm like, it is. I was like, does it? I'm like, no, it doesn't play games on it. I mean, if you were to flip <laughs> See, it around. See, that's what you got to do. You know now what you got to do. If you were to flip it around, it. though, you it could, like, you know, if like there's, like, a screen there, you might be able to play a yeah, game on it. That's that's your project. That, that'll make a pretty good YouTube video, actually. I, I reckon I you get a lot lie. of hits like, on that. Yeah, there's like a bunch of phone cases though that are in a Game Boy style for iPhones and Androids that have like a bunch of ROMs on them. So it's like, uh, okay, yeah, probably better to have it on a phone than on a wallet, to be perfectly honest. Well, my next big project uh, is to get an arcade machine and load it up with a 
dizzillion lot of games. Um, I want to get. I'm I'm tossing up between either getting a one up Street Fighter machine, okay, and get the riser with it, and then just mod it, or okay. get a custom. In fact, just a suburb over, there's a dude that makes arcade machines. Ooh. I didn't know he was so close. Uh, he, he, I could walk to his factory from here, and he does some wicked uh, custom arcades. However, they cost more than double the cost of a arcade one up. So yeah, I'm, well, you're getting a, a custom made arcade with probably like thousands upon thousands of games loaded onto it. Yeah, but I can get that done. That's not an issue. <laughs> yeah, true. true. Um, yeah, I keep telling my girlfriend, and like the day that we have more space in the house, or we're we're in a bigger space ourselves, and I also have the money to spend on it because I'm not made of money, unfortunately. It's because I see like Arcade One Up has the Marvel versus Capcom cabinet, which I want but, that one specifically. The cabinets look awesome. I I I, I can't I want the Marvel versus yeah. Capcom one so bad. I want three in particular: Marvel versus Capcom. Not X-Men versus Street Fighter, Marvel versus Capcom. I want that yeah. art. I want the art the, that says Marvel versus Capcom. I don't the artwork care. on that machine looks awesome. It really I want, does. I want that so bad. I want that one, the Pac-Man Legacy one, because it comes with Pac-Man and Galaga. Those are my two, some of my favorite arcade games of all time. And also yeah. got a bunch of other classic Namco arcade titles on there, so it's easy to get to play. And it look, I like the wood grain and the classic art style. Yep. And the third one is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Because so I love the Ninja Turtles. Faster Pick Free Turtles would be one of mine. Nice. Uh, the Street Fighter 2, uh, the original cabinet that they released. Okay. I just think nice. it looks awesome. It just looks it does. nice. It um, does look and awesome. I, I don't, I, I would probably swap out a arcade machine and instead get the pinball Marvel pinball machine. Okay. Because the Marvel, I know that's cheating a bit, but that oh, pinball with the Marvel logo, it, it people will walk in and see that and just think, "Oh, that looks nice." That would, or the or the Star Wars one, one or the other. I would make a beeline if I if I was if you get that in your house. I ever come to Sydney and I visit you, and they're like, <laughs> and, and it's like, "Hey Ben, here's my game room. I'm gonna see the pinball machine." I'm like, "What's that?" Yeah, and I've always. I've always wanted like my mini arcade. Arcade machines have always been my uh, desired item. Yeah, and I feel that's I've had, a lot. I've had a Shinobi, but I, I I just want something again. It's been too long. Yeah, I feel that's oh, now that I thanks to Arcade One Up and this and we're not sponsored, but Base Arcade Pause is not sponsored by Arcade One Up. Although if you want to, I'm not gonna say no. <laughs> <laughs> I feel with arcade one up and with the popularity of arcade machines or even barcade machines like the the flat tabletops because those are getting more popular in today's day and age. It's because I feel like an ultimate flex or a show of wealth for people's houses is if you walk in their house, they have a room and they have classic arcade games. I went there was a friend of mine who had that. He had Street Fighter Two. He had a bunch of other Capcom games, and I'm like, how do you get these? Because I think you. I didn't know where you can buy them. I didn't know people can buy them for private use. It's just you go to a pizza joint. I know the where you can get them. It's just that they charge so much. Yes. Uh, op- online your- auctions is usually, and I'm not talking eBay. I'm talking mm-hmm. proper auction sites that yeah. specialize in auctioning. Um, usually when uh, centers close down or something like that, they'll re- they'll grab them and, and sell them off. Um, 
the other the other pinball machine that I would really like is uh, the Act Games one. Now you can oh, buy yeah. it, I can't because it's not available in Australia, and I oh, would God. die to get this thing. It's the Act Games Legends pinball machine. Okay. The reason why I want that is because it's got two screens, oh. one at the one at the backboard to show you your scores and everything, and then your regular play field. And the those ones are higher resolution than the one up machines. Okay. It just yeah. looks better. Yeah. yeah but what I, was, what I was trying to say earlier about the arcade one up machines is that they're smaller. A, they're smaller, but also they're affordable. I mean, don't yeah. get me wrong. Spending 300, 300 American on a Marvel vs. Capcom machine is still a pretty penny. But yeah, would is. you rather spend 300 to maybe $150 on the, the Pac-Man Legacy cabinet or the Mortal Kombat one than thousands of dollars mm. On the, an original Mortal Kombat, whereas one you get, uh, where you get a few, you get a good chunk of games, and the other, it's just the one. And the other thing is that those older machines, uh, they take a bit to maintain. Bits of full, uh, you know, there's bits of them that are coming to the end of their life. You got to mm-hmm. try and source capacitors or whatever that's blowing in them. Um, and you're right, they're only one game. That was, like I was saying, that that was the one thing I didn't like about the Shinobi machine is just the one game. You, better, you really better like Shinobi because that's all you're getting. <laughs> yeah, so, oh, man. One day, I feel like I'm Wayne Campbell in Wayne's World where it's like, it will be mine. Oh, yes, it will yeah, be mine. Yeah, so, like I said, next year, uh, December, I moved to a brand-new place that's been mm-hmm. built but for now we're just hanging out here and mm-hmm. i don't want to buy too much because if we if i buy up a lot of stuff between now and then and then we move into the new place i've got too much things and yeah what a what a problem to have <laughs> i cannot tell you every time i've moved i had to get rid of some stuff and then when we get into the new place i buy more stuff and then we move again it's like i gotta get rid of some stuff so it's yeah it is definitely all right well we're coming up on the time limit um spacey's Brian, thank you so much for coming on and just just t- chatting with me. It's been a pleasure, man. Now, thank you very much uh, for having me. And uh, if I'm ever in the states, I'll I'll come knocking. <laughs> please do. Just just please do. Just text me. Just like send me a message and be like, hey, this is when I'm going to be in America. When are you free? I'm like, I'm free this day. It's cool. Make sure you got work. Keep that day open. We're going shopping, buddy. <laughs> we're going exploring. We're, we're going exploring. We're going shopping. I'll hold you to it. <laughs> yeah. So, since species, where can people find you on the internet if they want to find you? Uh, you can get me at sincespecies.com. I have my own site. I Ooh, stream yeah. on Twitch. Uh, again, since species, uh, and I'm on YouTube posting uh, videos now and then. Uh, also, since species, just uh, all on Twitter. Twitter's where I'm mostly active. Oh, I see you posting stuff on Twitter like nine times, like every single day. Like I'm like, yeah, I'm going yeah. through Twitter. I'm like, spacey's had a thing, spacey's had a thing, spacey, spacey, spacey. <laughs> not spacey, not spacey, delete, not delete, spacey. Delete. No, I'm not, I'm not that guy. I'm not the guy. <laughs> but no, because I feel it was you and I feel Sega Master Tim. He was the one who found me first. And okay. then he put me in his in one of his fall fries because I remember one day I'm about to record the show, and the, like the main show, the mothership show, fake nerd podcast, and I look at my open up my Twitter and I'm like, why the hell do I have 20 notifications? <laughs> I'm only supposed normally I have none, 
maybe two if I'm lucky. But that day, I guess he found he saw one of my articles from oldschoolbearmagazine.com and he just added me. And then all of a sudden I'm falling down the rabbit hole and I'm meeting more people. I'm meeting you, Todd, Ali, uh, Arcade Attack, so many other people. And I cannot tell you how forever grateful I am for that one fall Friday that got me here. Well, everyone that you just mentioned, I will definitely shout them out as well because uh, I follow them and uh, have interacted with them in one way or another. Um, but special mention for Sega Master Tim uh, mm-hmm. because I had not seen him since I worked at Sega. And then a couple of years ago, we meet up for the first time in more than 25 years. Uh, and that was a really cool moment to see how he has not aged one bit <laughs> and I have, <laughs> well, I feel like I have No, it was really good to see him. And we posted a, a photo showing us Sega guys together for the first mm-hmm. time in the one room after more than 25 years. And we put, someone put that up on Reddit and it got close to a hundred thousand upvotes nice. and we made the front page. We made the front page of Reddit. So, you know, it's good to see that there's still some love out there for Sega. That's it's my love of Sega will never die. <laughs> I, I remember I was like trying to find like apply for jobs. And I was trying to look for Sega and my girlfriend is joking with me. And she's like, you know, if you say get an interview with Sega, this is going to be you. It's like, so why do you want to work at Sega, Ben? Sonic is love. Sonic is life. <laughs> <laughs> Same with Capcom. Mega Man's my other favorite. It's like, so why do you want to work at Capcom? Mega Man is love. Mega Man is life. <laughs> Uh, nice being here on your show, and yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, if you ever got another one of these uh, podcasts coming up later, you know oh. where to find me. Hey, if you ever want to, if you're ever bored someday and you don't want to like troll some other guy on Twitter, give me a call, and I would love to have you back on. You have an open <laughs> invite, my friend. All right. So, then. Yeah. So, anyways, everyone, go follow Sin Spaces. He's he's an awesome dude. He'll seriously follow him. His Twitter, uh, his Twitter. His Twitter timeline is hilarious because he definitely has some good hot takes, especially with um, a certain grading company that we've been uh, dogging on the past few weeks for what reasons. A, what a bunch of losers. Yeah. Like, got, <laughs> that's a different episode. That's going to be a different episode. I, I probably, we need a panel to talk about that. That's for damn sure. So go ahead, follow us in Spaces. If you want to follow me personally, I am at BenMagnet27 on both Instagram and Twitter. I also write for OldSchoolGamerMagazine.com. My latest article is about what is old is new again because I've been replaying all through all the Metroid games to get ready for Metroid uh, Dread and replay Metroid Fusion because I haven't played that since 2002 when I first got it. Oh, wow. I, reali- I realized this game is amazing and I was an idiot as a child by skipping all the cutscenes. Don't skip cutscenes. <laughs> hey, uh, kids, don't skip cutscenes. You might miss important information like I did and then sell the game and rebuy it again at an inflated price. <laughs> so yeah go ahead go ahead check out that out that's up on the website as of right now a new one should be coming soon you can also follow the mothership show fake nerd podcast we were we are still doing live recordings every sunday um you can go to fake all of our links are there we have other shows here on this youtube channel and on the audios um we have conversation or not we have animation station fake nerd book club fake nerd watch where we're talking about all sorts of awesome stuff my co-host Brandon has a great show called Conversation. 
go ahead and check that out. It's where he's talking with um, other podcasts and content creators and how they got into their fandoms. I'm on one an episode. I'm on an episode. It's a really good episode. And I'm not just saying that because I'm on it. it. It's a fun episode. You should totally go check that out. And also, let's see, our Patreon, links to our Patreon and our YouTube are all at fakenerdpodcast.com. Also, once again, go follow Sin Spaces on Twitter and everywhere else because he's a totally awesome dude. Cannot wait to have you back. Thank you again so, so much. And for now, unpause.